So as you may have guessed, the, by the title of today's sermon, we're going to talk about bread, a little bit of food discussion today. And so uh, just by way of reference, uh, this story uh, to us in John comes right on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So all these folks had gathered to hear Jesus speak. And, and it, when he was done speaking, the disciples realized they had no food or not enough food. And so Jesus multiplied and provided food for all of these folks. And the 5,000 number, we guess, is probably just the men because that's kind of how they counted things back then. So we're guessing probably 10 to or 1,000 or more folks when you add in the women and children that would have been there. So I mean, that's a huge provision uh, for Jesus to provide. And it was a miraculous provision. Uh, and I truly think that only through Jesus' miracle could he have fed so many people. But right now, we still are struggling with the concept of hunger in this day and age. We still have this worldwide issue of hunger. In fact, 811 million people go to bed hungry every night. And to me, that's a staggering number when you consider there are seven or eight billion people in the world. That's one in 10, if I did my math right. One in 10 people every night go to bed hungry. 50 million face emergency levels of hungry hunger in over 45 countries. In the last two years alone, we've been hit really hard. The number of severely food insecure people is increased by over 200 million from 135 million in 52 countries. That's grown to 345 million in 82 countries. 38 million of those, including 12 million children, are right here in America. Now, hunger is not a new phenomenon. In fact, advocates say that hunger issues worldwide are generally caused by systemic or structural inequalities. And, and I'm not an expert. I have no doubt that that's possible and probably true. Uh, but I will say that when I study history uh, and as a student of history, over the last 6,000 years of human history, we have yet to solve the world hunger issue. 2,000 years ago, the folks that went to see Jesus, they were hungry too. They were still battling against hunger. And today is no different. Christians down through the centuries, we've battled against hunger. Here at Arizona Community Church, we've adopted a town in Berlin, Bolivia, and we provide even their most basic needs of food, water. So Christians have been struggling against this. And I think the issue remains that while the world is still starving physically, a bigger issue in the world is that it's starving spiritually. So while much of the world is starving physically, I would argue that the world is starving spiritually. And Jesus addresses this very need in, his, in our passage today. And he uses food as an analogy, which I think is uh, telling because he had just fed all the people and he's going to turn around and use that same topic again to teach them some more. But this time, instead of talking about physical hunger, he's going to be talking about our spiritual hunger, spiritual starvation. Now, by way of introduction, before we dive into our passage today, I need you to know that the folks that were gathering around Jesus at that time were predominantly Jewish, which meant that they had a rich history in the law. They knew their, they knew their scripture. They knew their stories. They knew the covenant promises that God had made to their ancestors. And so here we see them responding to Jesus and they're falling back on this age-old promise that was made to them way, way back when. But they're forgetting what God had told them the purpose of those promises were. And those are recorded in Exodus 19.6, if you want to look. 
where he calls upon them and he said, I will make you a nation of priests and you are to be a holy people among the Gentiles. But instead of relying on their spiritual life that they were supposed to lead, they looked to the acts of their forefathers and they were using their genealogies and their bloodlines as somehow that was the, that was what was owed to them is because their fathers had done it before. So that's kind of the light that we're going to be looking at our scripture today. So if you would please turn with me to the book of John. We're going to be looking at chapter 6. And it's a long one, so I'm going to give you fair warning. It's a very long one. However, it's a sermon by Jesus about some very important truths. And these are right from Jesus's, these are words right from Jesus' own mouth. And as such, I think it does deserve a full presentation. And, and I think Jesus is going to do a better job probably than I will. So we'll let's let him speak. All right. Slides will be on the screen for you. You can follow along if you'd like as well. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they, the Jews, said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him, whom he has sent. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Oh, what work do you perform? Our fathers, they ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Folks, we look for things for a variety of reasons. Um, there's a spiritual starvation among us and we look for ways to fill it. And food happens to be one of those ways. You know, sometimes we seek, uh, we seek things out because we're curious, right? We just have a yearning to know or to see what it's like. One of our, one of our elders was telling me last night that um, apparently hot dogs and peanut butter are a good combination. <laughs> if you're curious, you could try it. Uh, you may be grilling this weekend for the fourth coming up. Uh, I wasn't so sure, but he, he told me, no. Uh, sometimes, you know, we look for things out of ignorance. If you recall little kids, you know, they run around, they stick everything in their mouth. They don't know any better. You know, sometimes we can be that way. You know, sometimes we do things for really stupid reasons too. And I think, guys, you probably can really especially relate to this. I mean, we all have had those friends that said, you know, hey, I'll give you five bucks if you eat, drink that bottle of hot sauce, right? That never goes well. Don't do it. Um... <laughs> But if you need five dollars, you know, you, you know. <laughs> I mean, we do stupid things, we do silly things, and we, we're looking for something to satisfy us. But, you know, sometimes we have a real deep need in our life. There's a void somehow that is just aching, and we have to fill it. And some of us turn to food, and we're, we're, we stuff our faces trying to fill that anxiety or the loss, maybe the hurt. Uh, and that's a, that's a real problem, too. You know, it's the same reason why alcoholics have one more drink. And then they have another, and then they have another. Or the drug addict that, you know, goes and they steal from their family, uh, maybe not realizing and, and sometimes do realize that the harm that they're doing to their families. They're looking for something that just won't satisfy them because deep down, people are spiritually dead. We're bereft of that relationship with God that he established in the Garden of Eden when he created us in his image. And then they promptly broke that command, that relationship. Now, humans, as we notice in our passage, we're willing to work for it. We, what do we have to do? Even the Jews ask, what do we have to do? So it's not like we're not looking. It's not like we're not trying. We desperately search. And folks today, we see folks that are spiritual. They'll say, I'm a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. They're looking for power or some way of enlightenment. Somehow they want to elevate themselves, maybe even to 
a divine status. They look for their inner light, ascend to a higher plane, whatever it might be. The problem with that is, though, that those are all false places to look for fulfillment, to look for satisfaction. Now, some folks reject the concept of God altogether. You know, they say, God's, that's just stupid. He's a figment of your imagination. Um, there is no God. And instead, they focus on human philosophies and human understanding. They keep going to their ideology and they ask questions and more questions and more questions seeking answers and they never find them and they're left starved for an answer. Now the good news for us today is that Jesus has answered the question of where should we look? What is it that we need to work for? And he says, don't work for the food that perishes. Stop looking for things that won't last. I mentioned this, but in verse 28, they say, what must we do? The Jews were looking. He told them, Jesus told them where to look. But then, I think we do this. They argued in verse 30 and 31 about how their ancestors ate the manna provided by God. Jesus gives them an answer and they start arguing with him. Because in their mind, they thought as descendants, they were somehow owed and entitled to the promises that God had made them. And so Jesus corrects their misconception uh, in verse 32. But as Christians, we believe that our faith is a gift from God. And so we work out our salvation with fear and trembling out of love and respect of the Father. And on this side of the cross, because we get to see the completed work, remember the Jews didn't have that. You know, they're operating from a place of ignorance a little bit and relying on the old. We get to see the new. And so we know to fight spiritual starvation, all we have to do is believe, as Jesus told us in our passage today. We believe, we study God's word, it fills us, it, we consume it. it. Spiritually, it fills us, it nourishes us. We abide in Jesus and then he in us and we grow and the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. This is the blessing that we have. Now the Jews, they bank their righteousness on the acts of their forefathers. And so they said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe? They were looking for a physical sign. They needed something to believe in, which is true, but they were looking for physical, physical evidence, which isn't faith. What work do you perform, they asked. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. There was something tangible and physical that they could look to. Well, Jesus offers food, though, that has eternal benefit. He's offering food that has life eternal at the end. We sang about it today in our last song. We know what's to come. It was a big, huge spoiler for the entire sermon, right? We know what's coming. Eternal life. I suppose I could have not even spoken today. We would have already known what was coming. But in John 6, Jesus is telling, hey, good, good news, guys. Good news, guys. I am the bread of life. And the great news, even better news than Jesus being the bread of life, is that God gives us this food, and it's free. It doesn't cost us anything. Right? The cost of the bread of life doesn't go up when inflation goes up. You think you're spending a lot at the grocery store now. Just you wait. <laughs> you know, Jesus, he's, he's not... I say this tongue-in-cheek, but Jesus isn't dumb, right? He has a point that he wants to make. And Jesus thought this point was so important that he had to repeat it to us. Now, if you remember, like, we're like little children. And so if you recall, if you were ever raising kids or ever talked to kids, sometimes you have to repeat yourself a few times for it to sink in. You know, these kids, they run, stop, don't touch that. 
No, no, I meant it. Don't, don't, don't touch that, right? So Jesus repeats it for us in case we didn't get it. Verse 27, verse 40, verse 47, 51, 54, 58, six times at least he speaks of eternal life or living forever. I'm thinking this is the point we're supposed to get, folks. Stop looking for the perishable and look for the eternal. Now this story, this message isn't unfamiliar. It's repeated in many places. And if you recall last week, Brandon's message, Pastor Brandon's message on the prodigal son, there were three main characters. There was the father and there was the good son who stayed. And then there was the son who is maybe not so good, who took his inheritance and fled to another country and spent it all and lived a life of debauchery and, and lost everything and then came, came back, right? Well, part of that message yet last week was that the good son that remained had the blessing of the father the whole time, right? He was bitter because the youngest son got a big party and the father points out, look, you were here with me the whole time. You've had the blessings with me. You've had a full belly this entire time. Never once did you starve. And so that message to us is that while the youngest son was starving, the oldest was full. So if you are a believer here today, your spiritual belly is full. We don't have to worry. If you're off seeking the world, you might be in a little bit of trouble. God wants us to eat the best food and he gives it to us for free. It doesn't cost us a dime. And you know how we know this is because Jesus repeats this phrase time and time again. Truly, truly, I say to you. John records it in the Greek. Amen, amen. These are the very words that we say at the end of prayers, at the end of songs. Amen, let it be so. Truly, truly. Amen, amen. Lego humin. I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you. He tells us why we seek, and we just talked about that. But next he tells us, where does this food come from? God provides this food from where? From heaven. And it's important because if Jesus is the food, that means Jesus came from heaven, which is what he claims. Exodus 16 is the story where you find the, the manna story manna coming down from heaven. And so the Israelites are referring back to that story when, he, when they're talking and arguing with Jesus. But there in that story, even then, when God is providing food for the Israelites while they're wandering the desert, even then we see a disobedient spirit in Israel. God tells them, don't keep it overnight. And they did. They were hoarding it for themselves, unsure if it would be there the next morning. Right? And so the next morning did come and the manna that they had collected the day before had rotten, had rotted and now is filled with worms and was not good to eat. God wanted them to know that he was going to be there each and every day for them. Now the Sabbath had a special, a special meaning. On the Sabbath, they weren't to do any work, which meant they weren't supposed to gather food. So they grumbled because now they had no food. When he said, okay, fine. On the sixth day, you gather two days worth of food and that'll be enough for the Sabbath. You need to honor my day. Don't grumble about not having food. Honor my day. And for 40 years, God sustained Israel with this manna, but even that wasn't enough. You would think getting food every single day given to you for nothing would be enough, but it's not. It's not unlike the spirit of people we see today. No matter how much we're given to us, it's not enough. We're looking for more. And the Israelites were no different. They demanded water. They went to Moses and said, give us water. We're thirsty. 
God wants us here and we're not getting what we want, we'll go back to Egypt and we'll re-enslave ourselves. That just is a foolishness. I mean, who? But that's where the Israelites were. They like to be taken care of. But I will say that even in this spirit of disobedience, Israel was kind of starting to get it, right? When they were thirsty, they didn't, they, they started, they went to Moses and they said, look, Moses, we want water. God, we want food. So they understood that they were to go to God for these things. So that was a good thing. We should take that lesson. We need to go to God with our needs, right? The difference is that the Israelites went to God with a sense of entitlement. God, you owe us. And if you're not going to give it to me, I'll go find it somewhere else, right? And so that's the cautionary tale for us. We go to God with our needs. We don't do it out of this idea that God owes us something, but rather we make a humble request. Now the Old Testament, you probably heard Pastor Bill say this before, but the Old Testament is a type and a shadow of the new, which just, just means that in the Old Testament, there are stories, there's history there. Uh, there's a message to the Israelite people, and it's not a perfect picture for us. It's, sometimes it's, it's shaded, it's, it's warped, um, it's hidden, and you got to seek and find the messages, and it's all pointing to the coming Messiah. And then all of a sudden, Jesus arrives on the scene, and we get the New Testament, and then we get to see the full picture, or mostly full picture, in all of its glory. Right now, all of a sudden, you have this Messiah and the picture of the Messiah, and he explains all the things in the Old Testament that was hinting at his coming and his fulfillment, and we get to see it. Now, we are blessed and, and have the benefit. You want to talk about blessings of being with the Father now. We get the Bible, and we get to read all about that. The Israelites at that time, when they're talking to Jesus, they didn't have the benefit. So they were still struggling under this old type and shadow of the Old Testament, and they're trying to make this connection to the new, and they weren't quite getting there. But Jesus, he makes this connection. He makes this connection for us. He is the answer to our spiritual starvation. He tells them that he's the superior manna. You thought the manna that your fathers ate was good? I'm the superior manna. I'm the new life-giving water. You want life? Life is in me. That's what Jesus is trying to tell them. And they just quite weren't getting it. So he keeps telling them, look, I am the bread of life. In the Greek, ego emi, I am. The Gospel of John records seven I am statements. And here, this is the first. And I would say this, if you have not read the seven I am statements, I've listed them here on the screen. If you're joining us online, they're in the comment section, in the description. Go to your Bible and look up the seven I am statements and find out for yourself, just who Jesus is. He tells you, I am, and he goes down the list. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. In our passage today, he says, I am the bread of life. He tells us where this bread originates in verse 33. And it's for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives light to the world. This passage reflects the who in John 3.16, three chapters previously. This is a famous verse. Many of you probably know it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. First hour knew this, you guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah, up your game. Right? And you send your kids to Awana. Awana, they learn this verse all the time. Right? 
So this is the who. Who? It's God sent his son. That's the who. His son. And where did the son come from? You go back all the way to John 1.1. John opens with this very point because it's so important. It's so critical. Everything hinges on this. At the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Again, guys, you know, first hour, they knew this, <laughs> right? <laughs> John constantly wrote of the Trinity. This was so important. God sent Jesus. It's John 8.42 Jesus, again, speaking to the Jews, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came down from heaven. I came down from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. In 16.5, again, he says, but now I am going to him who sent me. And in our story, verse 57, the living father sent me. In 58, this is the bread that came from where? Came down from heaven. In the Holy Trinity, there's order. There is a rhyme. There is a reason for things that are done. God the Father sent the Son. The Father and the Son promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 and 16, 7. They sent the Spirit at Pentecost, and you see this recorded in Acts 2. The story points ahead to the new covenant, the coming of the new covenant, the giving of the new covenant by Jesus. Verse 51, John records, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, what's interesting about John, John never records the Lord's Supper, the story in the upper room. You see it in the other three synoptic gospels, but you don't see it in the story of John. John does record something from the upper room, but it's not this new covenant. Instead, in John chapter 13, he says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going back to God. He made that emphasis. But then he follows directly on that with the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. He focuses on the servant nature of Jesus. Jesus came from God. He was going back to God. All things were given to him, and yet here he is washing the disciples' feet. As I mentioned, the Lord's Supper is recorded in the three synoptic Gospels, Mark, Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22. Now, if I had to give you my personal opinion about why John doesn't record the, the Lord's Supper, again, this is just my personal opinion. You don't have to believe it. You're entitled to be wrong. It's fine. Um, I'm kidding. That was a joke, just to be, just to be clear. Crystal clear, that was a joke. I think it's because the entire Gospel of John is proving and stating who Jesus is and where he came from, what his purpose is, and where he's going. His entire Gospel paints the new covenant picture. 
So he doesn't need to state it in the simplest terms as we see recorded in the synoptics. However, there is a purpose it's recorded in the synoptics. Luke 22 in two verses, 19 and 20 says it this way. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. And then the why. Do this in remembrance of me. This Lord's Supper example is for remembrance sake. So as we take the, the communion, we take the Lord's Supper, we're to remember not just the act of taking communion, but we're to remember the entire Gospel of John that shows exactly why Jesus is here, who he is, where he came from, where he's going, and what kind of finished works he performed. Verse 20, it says, And likewise the cup after they had eaten it, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And talk about eating and thirsting. Here it is in the new covenant. So if, if the Father, if God has gone to all the trouble of providing food for us, and not just any food, but the most special food that's so special that it came from God, it was sent from heaven, and it's going back to heaven, uh, I think God expects us to do something. That seems reasonable. You all agree? I mean, no, none of you are going to, on the 4th of July, let's say, have a big, huge barbecue, lay out all the burgers and the hot dogs with peanut butter, right? And, uh, and then chips and all the other accoutrements that go along with it. And then you invite everybody over and say, hey, come check out this food. Look at it. Now go home. Right? None of you say that, right? The, the purpose of food is to eat. And so this, this is true right here. God is saying, look, I am giving you the bread of life. Eat of it. Eat. Eat Jesus. <laughs> Right? He went to all the trouble of sending manna to the Jews in the desert, and they ate of it. So even the Jews figured it out. They were supposed to eat. They were hungry. We're hungry too. We should eat of the bread of life that God sent. <clears throat> now there's a reason that we're to eat, and it's because God promises something. It's to feed ourselves spiritually so that we won't hunger, so we won't thirst, and this bread that came from heaven, this is bread that was pre-existent. What does that mean? It means that before time began, before the universe was created, this bread existed. God sent this bread into the world so that we would not hunger. And more importantly, so that we would not die. That we would not die a spiritual, eternal death. Look at verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died, Jesus tells them. And then in verse 51, he follows it up with, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. We just looked at that in the new covenant, didn't we? The flesh. For the life of the world, Jesus gives his flesh. Jesus' goal was not to provide sustenance or a temporary reprieve from physical hunger to fill our bellies. That's not the goal. The goal was to provide life, not only so that we would have life eternal, but so we would enjoy the blessings in the here and now of being one with the Father as well. We're adopted into his family. We have no starvation, no lack of need. Our spiritual starvation problem was solved. We have no excuse. We should not be starving spiritually. We, we know exactly what the solution is. Now, we're all going to get sick at some point. 
Um, now, not all of you are going to die of your sickness. Some of you may get hit by a car or hit by a bus or some other way, right? I, I hate to paint this grim picture, um, but, you know, the old axiom, there's nothing is guaranteed but death and taxes. We're, we're going to die someday. But those are just physical deaths. And as we sing about earlier this morning, we have a great, great kingdom waiting for us that we're so excited about. Something to look forward to, something that's promised to us that not only do we look forward to with gladness and hope, but we do so knowing that we'll never lose it. This is the spiritual sustenance that we would have life in Christ for the future, eternal life to come and blessings in this life so that we're not living this worldly parody of life where we're seeking after our own personal fleshly desires. We're trying to take advantage of other, others. We're accumulating as much as we can. And even as Christians, we're not to lord over our special position as adopted sons and daughters of, of, of God and then lord it over other people who aren't and say, ha ha, I'm in, you're out. That's not, that's not what Christianity is all about. Now the world will say that's what Christians do. And that's fine. They're entitled to their opinion. All right? In that case, I will say, yeah, they're entitled to be wrong. That one I mean. That one, that one I mean. They are entitled to be wrong because Christ gives you life eternal. And that means that that eternal life that's to come also has repercussions in this life. <clears throat> now, not always are we going to be overflowing with spiritual joy. Right? Many of us today here in this room, I myself have faced the same struggle. Sometimes we just feel a little low. We know God's there. We trust. We believe in him. But, you know, I'm just not feeling it today. I don't feel motivated. I feel a little weak. Uh, and our spiritual gas tank's a little empty. Now, the good news is, unlike the gas that we put in our cars, um, price of, of God's never going up, right? The price to fill up our spiritual tanks never changes. It's not influenced by inflation. And so we can go to God's spiritual gas tank and we can fill up anytime we want to and we can be as full as we want to the point we're overflowing and sharing the gospel with others, living good Christian lives so that other people sees the light of the world instead of the darkness in the world. God's always there for us and we can find him anywhere we are. He never loses us. We cannot be lost. Jesus says, you abide in me and I in him. I should lose nothing that he has given to me. This is the promise. This is the assurance that we have. And what a wonderful assurance. We want that hope that we sang about and it's assured to us. Jesus summarizes the sermon. He, uh, John records this, a very Greek thing to do. He sticks the, 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 the meat of it, the heart of it, right in the middle. He trickles up into it and then he comes out of it, but right in the middle is the heart of it. And in verse 39 and 40, we see, and this is the will of him who sent me. You want to know who sent him and what we're supposed to do and what Jesus is supposed to do? This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of that which he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Our promise from God is that Jesus will lose nothing and he will raise us up on the last day. For the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes, so how do we access that? We believe in him. And the result is we have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So important, he says it twice in a row, back to back. So how do we eat Jesus? That's the big question. How do we eat Jesus? 
We believe in him. That's what Jesus says. Whoever looks on the son and believes, believe in Jesus. That's all. If you aren't a Christian today and you want to know how do I become a Christian, that's it right there. Believe. If you're a Christian and you want to nourish your spiritual soul, you want to nourish your spiritual relationship, you consume God's word. I know this is always the answer everybody gives you. What do I need to do to find out what God wants for my life? Read your Bible. That's always the answer, right? But it's true. I mean, he wrote it down for us. We're blessed to have the Bible, and I can't tell you how many languages, right? Consume God's word. It's right there. Go to the I am statements. Find out who Jesus is. That will tell you why Jesus came, who he is, what his purpose is, and give you a hint of what you're supposed to be with Christ abiding in you. You live a Christ-filled life, and it's through obedience. We want to follow after and model after Christ. Not because we have to, but because I love him so much, I want to be like him. He's far superior to me. I screw up all the time. Jesus didn't. I don't want to be a screw up, so let's try to be like Jesus. That makes sense. I think that logically follows. Now, one of the things you can do to help yourselves out too is you come here. You're gathered here as a body. You're sitting in this pew and you're fellowshipping with fellow Christians. That helps fill up your spiritual tank as well. Now, I will say this, that sitting in our pews today is... is wonderful as they are and as blessed as I think our church is, just sitting here doesn't really do a whole lot for you. Um, they're not magical seats. There's nothing special about them. You, you have to consume God's word. You have to consume him. You have to abide in Christ and he in you. That's how you grow spiritually. And then relating with one another, the body of Christ, that's where it's at. So I like the cushions though. The cushions make my tushy feel comfortable, right? But if you didn't know, donuts are over there. That's, you can go fellowship and have donuts. We provided the food. Donuts are not magical. It's not the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. And the world is clearly starving spiritually. But Jesus is the solution for that spiritual starvation. We have the opportunity. We are blessed in this generation. That we know the truth. And that we can share this bread of life with the world. You want to solve the spiritual world hunger issue? Then go out and feed the masses. Feed the people. And it doesn't take anything. The bread is free. You can carry it with you. It's the word of God and you just share it. So will you feed the world? Will you proclaim that the bread of life to the world that does so desperately needs it? Will you feed it? Will you feed the world?